Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good morning, Alison. Hey, good afternoon, Andrea. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you for asking. I'm actually good. sitting by a fire for the first um, time oh. since we've been recording. We haven't really had to do many fires yet, but now it's getting a little chilly yeah. out. So I've had the fire going all night and it's been nice. The weather's turning here, or it has been a little bit. Suddenly last week it got quite cold mm. and... Um, it seemed very autumnal. We went to the market and there was lots of kale and fennel and things like that. Oh, that's nice. Um, but then, uh, as always happens in Italian autumn, suddenly the sun comes out and it feels like summer again <laughs> during during the you know the middle of the day. In the morning, it's freezing, yeah. very, very cold, and you need to cope. But as soon as that sun comes out, it, it's wonderful. So it's a sunny day today, and so it actually has felt kind of like a, I don't know, September day even though we're oh, yes. a lot further along than September which is nice. Does everything um, does everybody keep growing all winter there where you are? Yeah yeah pretty much oh. the crops change so instead of all the um, kind of tomatoes and melanzane and zucchini and all those kind of crops you turn into the greens so the broccoli appeared last week oh mm. i missed broccoli so oh, much my goodness. and um tuscan kale cavolo nero lots of other kale fennel um, cabbages that will all carry on throughout the winter um, along with the winter fruits you may have some chestnuts soon um, and pomegranates are appearing everywhere um, so gable's been enjoying um, whacking those on the back with a spoon to get all the oh, bits yeah. inside out and um, persimmons and the citrus will start coming in soon so yeah everything really keeps growing wow. through the winter yeah just different such a lovely. vibrant cornucopia that you just described <laughs> yeah colorful it's and really awesome. oh, the smells of Christmas with all the different fruits and the and I love Tuscan kale so much oh yeah the depth of flavor in it that um, I could eat it every day I really could. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Do you, I have some recipes for um, supposedly descended from Italian recipes for like a kale soups mm. and um, mm -hmm. an Italian wedding soup. I don't mm. know. They're, they're really good. They're definitely some of our favorite winter soups, but I don't really mm. know exactly where they originated or, or why or how they're, you know, kind of tagged as Italian other than that yeah, you should send them across yeah i'll send them i'll send them across the ocean <laughs> you can analyze there are, them. <laughs> there are a lot of um stews and soups with tuscan kale in for sure and yeah. i love to put them in a slow cooker when i make something up like that because um they just they give a flavor that you just can't compare with any other veg and yeah. traditionally they were used in lots of stews with beans and yes. you know bits of pork yep that's um, what's the in winter. these that's what's in these. Um, yeah. Is, is Tuscan kale the one that we call dino kale over here? I think I've heard it called. No, I don't think so. No, I'm, okay. I'm not a kale expert, <laughs> but I remember when we used to go to the market in Penzance in England, they had all these different kales and I tried to learn them. I think dino kale is the kind of lighter green, slightly curly at the edge one, uh -huh. but maybe okay. I'm wrong. Tuscan kale is really dark, like black almost. 
and it's more upright and um, flat than dino kale. Huh. Okay, cool. I think. Well, um, Baker Creek Seeds, th- that guy is mm. really into, I mean, his, his life mission has been traveling around the world and just like going into the mountains and finding obscure seeds and farmers who have been cultivating just random things for years. And um, it's really fun to read his books and hear him talk about you know finding all these just varieties that you know a little tiny town somewhere in one mountain is just known for Mm. doing really really well um and he sells a whole variety of seeds so it's fun to look and see that some of the history of the specific plant and um yeah why it does so well where it came from and everything like that exactly yeah i think that's something that is is so important for us to to understand and grasp as a society that you know some things do well in some places yeah. and some things don't do well you know why. the world has very different territories yeah. and to eat local means to look around you yeah. and say well what can this land around me grow and to well, that's diversify what I, I don't know if you ever watched the i mean it's it's from your people the show downtown abbey um <laughs> the I I watched it. My people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I watched it whenever it was coming out, um, which was mm. it's. I think the first season actually came out in the UK in September 2012, um, and it. Mm. I don't. It must have come here shortly after or right around the same time because that's about when I saw it. So. Um, mm. But, anyway, so I've been listening to it while I've been working on all these really tedious projects like chopping jalapenos and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. cause I've seen it before, so I don't really have to see it again, but I can hear it. And, um, <laughs> they're talking about how they're, you know, the Julian fellows uses all these, you know, historical themes to tell a story and to tell, inform us about the history and stuff like that. And he's talking about how all these estates and everything were just going to, collapse and fail because they they didn't diversify and they didn't um you know join the modern centuries and things like that and then i was thinking about the tudor monastery and how diversified they were with you know they they Mm -hmm. had all their different varieties of crops like the peas and the and the sheep wool and um, candles and salt and things whatever they produced and then i was thinking about shannon hayes and how she was saying how you know Mm -hmm. farms over years have always been wildly diverse because you just never know what's going to completely fail like all your hogs could yeah. die and you know <laughs> then you just have to eat pumpkins for the rest of the year or something and then i was thinking mm-hmm. about how in modern times it's almost like i'm watching downton abbey play out again you know everybody's um source of income kind of like the earl of grantham or whatever is just this one thing and um they're not that people are more slowly diversifying, you know, and, and adapting to the fact mm. kind of like in the whole show's arc is kind of based on his unwillingness to adapt. But um, oh, I see. I don't know. This has just been on my mind a lot lately, thinking about how farms, you know, have always faced this need to diversify. And and if they don't, um, you know, it, it can be a real struggle. And anyways, I don't even know why I brought that up. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> listening to I've been listening to some podcasts um by the um, journalist Jilly Smith. She did oh. a series with a chain of restaurants in the UK called Leon, who um, okay. do some fabulous food in London. They're like, not not expensive. You can just go in and take away, but they oh. do 
um, you know, sustainable foodstuffs. And I was listening to an interview with Patrick Holden, the dairy farmer who runs um, Sustainable Food Trust, and just listening to him talk about diversity and not only how, you know, how people have needed to, but how the soil needs Absolutely. us to yes. because of what the different crops do and because of the different um, species of animals and insects that are associated with all of the different crops. And it's it's... It just all fits together like a jigsaw when you think of it like that. And yeah. I, I find it absolutely fascinating. And, it, you know, when I, when I think about monocropping and what we're doing to a lot of the world, it seems so counterintuitive to anything yeah, it does. sensible. It does. I mean, literally, the, you know, the best farming just looks at nature and imitates it almost as closely as possible. And mm. nowhere, nowhere do we really see even you might say oh what about the prairie grass well get down in the prairie grass <laughs> tell me how monocrop yeah. that is it is not monocrop it's highly diverse um and and not to mention it's a symbiotic in terms of you know you've got herds of all variety of animal trampling over it in different cycles and then fires coming through yeah. and stuff like that so we just don't have an example in nature of monocrop like it just doesn't exist yeah yeah indeed we could talk about this for the whole episode couldn't we <laughs> what well okay we, we better start um what do you have for lunch <laughs> ah well for once i'm not going to say heart ah, has no heart <laughs> get ready for it yeah i i had lentils oh yum um, yum they were very nice uh, red lentils which have been um de-hulled the hull taken off cooked in some stock with a lot of different spices i can't remember but i know turmeric was in ooh, there and cumin ooh, yum. Um, nigella seeds uh, coriander uh, ginger a whole load of other wow. spices um so i cooked that for rob and i gabriel wasn't with us today for lunch um, he's not so hot with lentils so it was an <laughs> opportunity for us to <laughs> us to enjoy them and i had two slices of sourdough one uh, a spelt sourdough with an oat scored in it the other a rye and barley sourdough both of them covered in um, home rendered lard and then I had some Tuscan kale which we just boiled up um, and I put lemon juice and olive oil on the top of it with my sauerkraut on the side mm. it was really really nice now question on the kale do mm. you do you see anybody in Italy eating it raw or does is it pretty much traditionally cooked or fermented? I don't think I've been, I don't think I've seen anyone eating it raw. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think I see any anybody where where it's older eating it raw. I don't know why it's so popular no. to eat it raw over here. I mean, holy cow! You have to chew for a really long time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a cavalonera. I don't know if you can eat raw. Oh, so, yeah. So um, it takes takes you can cook it forever and it still tastes all right. You know, it's like one of oh. those serious vegetables. Um, but the lighter kales. Yeah, I I mean, I know that there's a, a trend to eat them raw and massage them with salt and mix them with avocado and salad and that kind You're of thing. You're trying to mimic but, um, ferment at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't think there's any traditional dish. I might be wrong, so That's true. don't quote me on that's it. True. But I haven't seen in any recipe book that I've ever looked at, huh. a, you know, a, a dish that's been around for hundreds of years that has uncooked kale in yeah, it. Yeah, I have not seen one either, and I've kind of been yeah. just looking... Um, I know it's also yeah. also kind of popular to take like the baby leaves because they're more tender 
um, ah, okay. and eat those raw. But I don't really know if that has any sort of historical precedence or not. But that I'll that sounds so good, and now. just I might have to do some lentils this week. I've got a lot of broth right now, so lots of excuse to cook. That's perfect. Then. Cook all kinds of the. Have you had breakfast? No. <laughs> Am I making you hungry? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I'll, I'll happily eat some lentils and sourdough for breakfast. I'm gonna have a sourdough pancake mm. when I go upstairs, and I'll probably what I've pretty much been doing is having a sourdough pancake with two eggs. Um, so okay. that's kind of been my breakfast right now, and then. By the time the kids get up, I'm ready for breakfast again. Because if you <laughs> eat at like 4.30, by the time they get up, it's already been four hours and I'm hungry again. So yeah. <laughs> then I make, yeah. I make breakfast and I'll happily eat again. But, um, yeah, just a sourdough pancake. I, I, I'm excited to talk about our subject today because, um, yeah, they, talking of sourdough pancakes, pancakes definitely feed into what I've been learning about mm. myself. <laughs> so where to start? We're, today we're talking about grains. <laughs> and I think that this idea came up because I, I get a lot of questions in my Instagram feed about grains and yeah, um, me too. direct messages about them. And um, particularly in the ancestral eating community, you know, there are, there are a lot of um, ways of eating that don't include grains. And yeah. um, I think I thought it was about time that we we tackled it and I know you want yeah. to so where would you like to start where to begin well let's go back in history and just talk about mm. you know humans and grains because that's actually that's even like a point of controversy nowadays if I can even say that you know oh did humans ever eat grains and things like that mm. so mm. it's interesting because I've been reading um a book called Cytopia by Carolyn Steele uh -huh. the last couple of weeks and she um, proposes something that I've not read before um, about the beginnings of agriculture. So the times that um, the humans started to farm and that was around 12,000 years ago. And I've always read before that um, before that, probably we did eat grains, but we only did it kind of sporadically because we could only just, you know, collect what was growing wild, what grasses were growing wild. And I previously read that, you know, we perhaps settled and started farming because yeah. of the discovery of you know bread and how we could use bread to fuel ourselves and i have also read somewhere else that we settled because of the discovery of beer <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. how people just you know could create this fabulous substance that would um move them to a different realm with grains but in carolyn Steele's book she argues that um, farming started because humans were forced to farm because right. there were temperature changes, which meant in the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East, um, foraging and hunting particularly for animals became uh, much more difficult. There were mm, not as many um, animals going around and therefore man had to adapt. And of course, you know, humans are fabulously adaptable creatures and the the um, finality of that, what happened was that we settled and started farming. I mean, I'd not heard anyone say that before. Um, and I wondered whether you, whether in all your reading you've done about grains, um, what you've read about the beginnings of farmings and how that relates to the history of grains. Well, it's kind of funny because what I was actually going to say isn't from something I read, but it's from something I listened to. Mm. Um, 
but I mean, you can go back to the sources and read more about this too, but on the history of food podcast, which is interesting, um, you know, it's like, like Zootopia, you know, somebody's going to share with you both their opinion, both archaeological fact, and then kind of their thoughts, their conclusions. Um, so he also posits the idea, which I know is definitely not an uncommon one, that, um, you know, grains were kind of the foundation of civilization. Um, what's interesting, Sally Fallon has a book also about, um, I'm trying to remember the name of what the book is called. Um, I'll look it up while we're talking, but, um, mm -hmm. she talks about how everybody says, oh yeah, you know, we were just hunter gatherers and we didn't really eat grains before. And she says kind of like, it sounds like Zootopia is saying that, no, there is a lot of evidence that people were eating grains anywhere and as much as they could find them. Um, and then in, she relates this interesting, story about when um, explorers went to Australia and they kept commenting on how these fields of grain looked cultivated but they surely couldn't be because they all the um, Aboriginal people there were nomadic but she said what they've seen in um, both like uh, North American history and in Australia and I don't know where else if she said other places but they've seen that what people are actually doing was almost like a form of mobile cultivating so cultivating and then traveling and then cultivating and then traveling so you might hmm. it, kind of like the Bible says one man sows another reaps you know <laughs> kind of like that hmm. maybe um, was her theory um, you know, people were cultivating as they went and they might not necessarily be the one to get the harvest, but because everybody knew it was good for everybody, then that was kind of her theory. Everybody was just sort of cultivating as they went. Oh, it was nourishing diets. It's very egalitarian. Yeah. It, yeah, okay. it is. Nourishing diets, how paleo ancestral and traditional peoples really ate. I, I don't know if it was like a totally egalitarian spirit or if they're like, boy, I hope I get to come back here and eat this or not. I have no idea. Yeah. She didn't really theorize too much about that but um the thing that um go on oh i was just gonna say in the history of food podcast when yeah. he also of course everybody oh. you know you can't talk about the history of food without talking about the fertile crescent and he was saying mm. that it, it he finds it a little bit hard to tell if we started cultivating grains so we stayed in one place or we stayed in one yeah. place so we started cultivating yeah. grains but either way, yeah. we see the rise of, you know, actually building, okay, now I want to protect, now I have a store of food, now I need to protect it, you mm -hmm. know? So even wars yeah. began to arise more so because now you're like, okay, well, I'm going to draw a line here. This is where, yeah. you know, my people are. Um, it's just so fascinating to see. And that came about with, you know, trying to save, preserve, store, and, and guard your food. It's really, it's fascinating when you, um, when I have been so brought up and steeped in kind of commercial food culture from the last 50 years. I just finished reading a book on farmhouse brewing, which, um, in which the author talked about the history of farmhouse brewing. And it became really clear to me as I was reading it that literally every household yeah. Um, or every farm used to grow their own grains. Yeah. You know, so there would be a household 
and they would know that they wanted bread and they wanted beer to subsist for the year and so they would have a field where they grew grains and they did the harvest they did the threshing they did the working or they took it to the local mill and they made the beer and they made the bread and you know whatever grain they had depending on where they were so you know if they were up north they're more likely to have oats or rye um, and be making beer or suans or Mm. you know rye crackers or oat cakes or if they are down south perhaps here in Italy they would be growing spelt or wheat and making different breads with that and it it just is fascinating to read example after example and see pictures in that book that every household grew their own grain and we are so far removed from that now and it's um it's not been that long in history since then Mm mm-hmm and yeah, everything's completely changed. Um, yeah. And, and grain was, I mean, grain's important to us now, but like you're saying, grain would have been so important. Those food stores would have been so important to yeah. those people. And, and grain, as we know, grain was used as a currency for, for a very long time. Um, and so it really has had so much worth put on it as, as part of our diets through history. Yeah. Well, even... I mean, the way we measure land, we say, oh, uh, how many acres is it? Um, do, what do you guys use in the mm. UK? Do you say acres or hectare? hectare? Acres, yeah. Acres, okay. I use, I use acres. Yeah, I mean, it's an old English term. Um, and it means open field. And the way they came up with an acre was it's how about how much an oxen could plow in a day. So um, uh. it was literally based on agriculture was how they're measuring Mm. um land and um and i was listening to a a podcast interview with um what was her name nicolette han was that or nicole han ham neiman yeah 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 Yeah. um she you know she feels like the plow was not necessarily a good thing for um Mm you know land because as we know once you turn over the soil now you're losing lots of um bacteria mm. and things like that so you know plowing itself is this whole um kind of historical controversy just because it's again it's a non-nature way of mimicking things um mm. but that that was an interesting interview that she gave I, I can see if I can find it again and link it in the show notes. She's a really interesting woman. She is. We have to get her she on the is. podcast. Yeah, for sure. We'll link, to, we'll link to that and maybe link to her book, Defending yeah. Beef, in the show notes, because that's fascinating too. Yes. Okay, so we, we kind of covered the history. And, and most of the questions that I get about grains are partially to do with avoiding grains. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, either coming off avoiding grains or should I avoid grains or problems with grains right. um, how can I have not have problems with grains and so I thought it would be useful to talk for a little while about why people avoid grains um, and um, my own experience of it and then shoot over to you and, and talk about that okay. so shall I yeah crack on yeah crack on so <laughs> crack on with it so um, I think the main reason why people avoid grains is that they are relatively hard to digest compared to other foodstuffs. So, you know, for example, a piece of fruit has a simple sugar in it and our body doesn't need to do much to break that down. Whereas grains, the starches in grains are more complicated. They're polysaccharides and disaccharides. 
and our body needs to break those down into simple sugar sugars to be able to um, absorb and use them and also grains have um, compounds in them that are toxic and can be and can cause problems for our digestion so for example like phytic acid so our stomach has to work harder to digest them and if we have a digestion that's compromised in some way um, which a lot of us do because we've grown up in the standard way of eating then we can really have problems whether we have um, something that's diagnosed like SIBO or um, some form of irritable bowel syndrome or whether we just you know have something that we know is wrong but hasn't been diagnosed you know grains are blamed for lots of things including things you know like brain fog and mm-hmm. fatigue and that kind of thing um i think it's important to say that you know simple sugars like fruits they're easy to digest but those sugars go straight into the bloodstream which is often hard for the metabolism if we are eating those on their own um, so grains do have a good side in the fact that they take more time to digest which gives us sustained energy and doesn't put so much of a pressure on our blood sugar regulation but obviously the bad side of it is our stomach has to work harder and putting aside for a moment um, people who have damaged digestive capacity really I think the the difficulties in digesting grains or a lot of the difficulties in digesting grains are because we don't process them in the way that our ancestors processed them, in the way that they knew would make the grains easy to digest and neutralise a lot of the phytic acid. Um, are you of the same mind as me, Andrea, there? Or yes. what's your take on No, I feel the same. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah, okay. So really, um, the diets that restrict grains, for example, paleo, Um, and the autoimmune protocol gaps they are often and best used in my opinion for specific periods of healing Mm -hmm. when you know you have a problem Um, but if you can move your digestion to a place where it is healing and you are improving then judicious choice and processing and use of grains in your diet is a wonderful thing because they are so nutritious, properly processed, they taste amazing, and they can give you such um, slow-release energy. Um, And they are much easier to process than cooking up a load of carrots or swede um, or things like that, like I did when we did GAPS for two years. You know, the work that was involved in cooking up enough simple sugared carbohydrate vegetables for us to keep us going was yeah quite something so (laughs) yeah i think really each of us if we like grains should be aiming to be able to include them in our diet whether we are a long way away from that or whether we're very close to that and a lot of the questions that i get are people who've cut them out for a while and then are scared to start them again and i can completely understand that because Um, As a family, we were on gaps for three years and many times before that as well, when I ate raw vegan particularly, I didn't eat any grains. And so I've been long periods of time without grains and I've done 
particular healing protocols and put a lot of energy and effort and love into those. And then coming off something like GAPS when you've been on it for three years and you've not had bread for three years, it's extremely daunting to think about, oh my gosh, really? Can I bring these grains back into my life? You know, they used to do this to me. They used to do that to me. They used to make me ill and give me brain fog and make me feel fatigued. I just don't want them. How can I bring them back into my life? And and it's a huge question and one that I hope that both of us can um, can share for the rest of the podcast about um, the way that grains can be eaten ancestrally and included in a diet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting, Alison, that just thinking about like as you're talking about you know diets and things that we're doing to leave grains out we have such a bizarre experience in this modern age in that like our primary like in the western i don't don't know just in like america i'll just say because that's what i see so I, Mm. i won't even comment on anywhere else so like in america the biggest problems facing people are coming up with strategies to eat less food. Like, think about that. Yeah. That's our cultural crisis is coming up with mental strategies and games and, and ideas and, and, you know, methods to eat less food. Like that's what we're facing now throughout Mm. all of history. The number one problem has been that nobody has enough food. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's what we have always faced. And now we have, literally the opposite problem which is killing just as many people as starvation was it's like oh my gosh so i was i've tried to look and see and i've always kind of had an ear out for was there ever a time in history when somebody said ah this these grains are probably pretty bad for us i don't think we should eat them i've not run across (laughs) it maybe it's out there you know but I haven't run across Mm. it yet, especially the farther back you go. It was always just like, okay, how can we cultivate more of this? How can I, you know, fill my, I mean, the, the story of Joseph in the Bible is literally, he's like hoarding grain for seven years and everybody from the countries around him is coming to buy bags of grain. They weren't like, I feel like I should only be eating, you know, Mm. lamb right now. No, they were like, give us anything, you know? Um, so I, I don't know if there's this big thing there's this well there certainly was this big thing when I was growing up in the UK that grains make you fat yes yes and is it this is you what know, carbs I'm, make you fat grains make you fat. like I yeah totally if you eat you know bagels for breakfast muffins for lunch pop-tarts for dinner yeah you can have a pretty big problem um but I just wonder if um if we've ever looked at grains and said you know maybe the grain itself isn't bad maybe we just have like three generations of abusing the way that all people have always eaten them Mm. and always been able to Mm. extract this good energy from them energy that makes you more symbiotic with your farm in the sense that you know you can produce some grains and you can eat some animals but you're not having to do thousands of either one you know yeah like when you really eat off of your farm not just like oh I went to Costco and bought like a ton of meat then um, you really have to weigh how much meat you're going to put on the table every day and we do that balancing act here too because we only have meat that we either raised ourselves or that a friend butchered and so 
you know, Mm -hmm. we have to decide, well, you know, there has to be some portion of organs, some portion of bones and some portion of meat, not necessarily because we're trying to achieve this like magic ratio of eating it, but because that's what we have, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, yes, we're souring grains to go with the meal to make the meat go farther. Um, So and I, I don't know, there's there's definitely really popularized carnivore diets right now, and I'm not saying anything against anybody who's doing those. Like, if somebody's doing that and it's working for them, like, I'm not going to get in their way. Um, I just wonder why, you know, fat was really vilified for a long time, um, mm. and, and, and right now I feel like grains are getting that kind of treatment. I think that... Um... The demonizing of grains is yeah, intrinsically linked to uh, to um, industrialization yeah. because that's where yep. the the process of refining grains and creating white flour and feeding the masses on white flour, which yeah. has less nutrients, is faster. You know, it it's easy to mix it into something and give you calories to keep you going a factory or in an office now you know um and it it feels to me like as we come find a full circle from that and people are more informed now and people are taking action around their health and seeing the way they eat that the demonizing of grains will come naturally from that because that's the grains that we've grown up on you know and yeah exactly i think it's probably yeah is white wheat say, flour like, made into kind of fat in salt induced things then absolutely. then you're you're gonna react like that and i think i think as a as individuals it's easier for us for us to react to something so you know if we think oh gosh these grains are making me ill well okay let's just go 180 completely the other side and cut them out of my diet you know, like people look at uh, the factory farming industry yeah, and yeah. say, oh, oh I don't yeah, want to be involved in that. OK, right. Let's go 180 and become a vegan. Yeah. Whereas mm. life is more nuanced than that. And it pays as an individual and as part of a society to look deeper at the issues and the problems and the history of things and to learn I don't know if compromise is the right word. You know, I, I'm I'm a, a kind of all or nothing person. So, you know, when I when I wanted to lose weight age 20, I cut all fat out of my diet. Well, that was a bit of a mistake. You know, when I when I didn't like the industrial meat industry, well, I went vegan. And I look back at these things and I think life is more nuanced. And it's natural that we might react because of the way we are and because of the way we've been brought up and say, I don't want grains but I think grains have a, a lot to offer. Yeah. We just need to learn how to work with them, like we can learn how to work with the soil, like we can learn to work with nature. Right. And we just have to learn how to work with grains by looking back at how the people who knew how to work with them before science told them any of the stuff that we know now and, and learn from them. Yeah. I think come, I, come down oh, from the that was now. such a good comparison, <laughs> Alison. And I think you're, it, it, it is harder to make a nuanced change than it is to like, just mm. do an all or nothing, um, 
cold turkey type thing, honestly. And Mm. I wonder if, I truly wonder if grains would be getting the same kind of treatment that they do right now from everybody. If the only grain you knew was a soaked, soured, Mm. spelt, and a soured einkorn. Like, if those are the only grains you had ever had, would you now be treating them the way that we are treating them now? Probably not. And you and you had to cook them yourself in your house, so you knew the value of them and didn't just grab a sandwich or a bit slice of yeah. pizza, you know? So yeah. they became a, a balanced part of yeah. a diet rather than, than the whole of it. Yeah. It's really so it's right. fascinating for me to look back at my own diet, you know, when, when I was a kid, because I would have cereal for breakfast, so that would be... Mm a grain mm-hmm. with pasteurized milk on it that had been processed to... <laughs> to <know>. oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yeah, to, to the end of its life. And then a sandwich made of bread in a plastic packet from a supermarket. Oh, man. And then for dinner, sometimes it was potatoes, because, you know, potatoes are, are kind of an English thing um, very much. But often it would be some other form of grain, like a you know a pizza style thing or something with pasta in and it it's amazing how easy it is without thinking in that world to just you know eat the majority of your calories from highly refined sitting on a shelf in a packet grains and yeah we maybe I'm going around in circles here but it's no wonder that we have problems with grains yeah well and your 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 true British thing would be peas, not not potatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. <laughs> Going me, back even further. <laughs> let me read this quote and then then take us into our next mm. section. So this is a quote. Yeah, okay. a quote I sent you a few days ago. Lexi had posted it on Instagram, and I just loved it. It's from G.K. Chesterton, and he said, mm. "Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead." Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. I feel like that is the Mm. attitude that shaped Sally's book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Take us forward, Alison. What next? Yeah, so let's stop talking about um, (laughs) why grains have been demonized (laughs) and let's start digging into and getting our hands into how we can best... Um, process grains in our homes to make them most suitable for us so um, maybe I'll start with kind of an overview of processing different options for processing grains Um, and then we could move into talking about how we eat and process grains in our houses how about that I like it okay so what what I want to say about processing grains is kind of useful for anyone who wants to include grains, but this is really important and speaks to those who have not had grains in their diet for a while. When we came off of the GAPS diet as a family, um, I started processing grains in into sourdough. That's when I started making sourdough. And that really was when I ramped up my fermentation of grains. And since that time, which was uh, five years ago, maybe four, four and a half years ago, 
the the way that I treat grains in my kitchen is is completely transformed and I would not go back to eating grains even as I did before gaps let alone how I did as a kid Mm. so with grains I mean you can ferment grains fermenting is a fabulous way of processing grains because not only do they get to soak which softens them and makes them easier to digest but they get the action of the fermentation starter whatever it is you put in there those bacteria and those yeasts on the grains and those allow the um, anti-nutrients in them the toxic plant compounds to be neutralized and they also start the pre-digestion process so they basically just take a huge weight off our own intestines in the processing that it needs to do and makes the grain softer and brings out more nutrients and um, neutralizes anti-nutrients so for fermenting you can ferment your grains um, into a porridge you can um, ferment grains or flour into sourdough bread. You can ferment flour or grains into pancakes, just like you're going to do for breakfast in a bit. And there's a big history of making fermented grain drinks, certainly throughout um, Europe, um, with very many different grains. And really, those four things that I've just mentioned, porridges drinks pancakes and sourdough really consists i would say 80 percent of the grains that we eat in this house and really it doesn't have to be complicated in that you know if you don't know how to make sourdough it doesn't matter you can make a porridge really easily by just blending up some grains with some water and plobbing a bit of whey or a bit of um sauerkraut or a bit of yogurt into that and leaving it on the side for a day that is not a difficult thing to do pancakes are really easy just do the same but with flour you can make flatbreads like that you can make naan breads like that you can make um little flatbreads or cakes in the oven like that you know you do not need to be a whiz at sourdough and i mean sourdough has very many levels of complication um in the you know that at one end there's the really um, open crumb tartine wonderful you need a very strong skill set for it but really what you need to be healthy and happy is a simple bread on your table Mm -hmm. so you know even if you think you can't do sourdough there's there is a simple way of making sourdough Mm -hmm. and really our ancestors just did this you know they they worked with the grains they milled it themselves and then they left it out with water and and it fermented before i um before we did gaps most of the fermentation that i did of um grains was without a sourdough starter because i wasn't making sourdough so i used to ferment buckwheat um i used to soak whole buckwheat groats and ferment them wild literally just leave them and then i'd pour that batter of those fermented oat wheat um buckwheat groats into a pan and make a in quotes bread I used to do the same to make a pizza base because I didn't make sourdough, but I still fermented a lot of grains. You know, it, it doesn't, it really doesn't have to be complicated. Um, do you want to add something to, to fermenting and processing, Andrea? Well, I, I guess what I want to say is that it is very, very simple and easy. And I'll use the quote that I know I've used a number of times on here from... 
mm. slow down farmstead, which is it's not hard, it's just different. So yeah, um, I definitely feel like like there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who they are like ah, I've been making sourdough for a long time. And then there's also a lot of people who are like, hey, I'm looking, I, you know, I want to start eating grains, you know, maybe a more humane way. <laughs> and um, so I just want to do what I can to help dispel any myths. I think the fact that there's so many huge, hardcover, glossy, shiny, beautiful books about making sourdough bread, it can start to feel really intimidating. Mm. But it is actually quite, quite basic. And then you can just... Um, expand on it from there and get fancy if you want to kind of like you said mm. and the mm. the um nourishing traditions book she actually has a nourishing traditions cookbook for children that i recently got and mm. honestly if somebody feels intimidated about this stuff just get the nourishing traditions book for children because it is beautiful it's very simple um, she has enough of the science in there that you literally know what is going on, but it's not like drowning you in information. Mm -hmm. And, and then you can see that it's so easy that like a five-year-old can do it. It's so, so simple. And a lot of these foods that Allison and I talk about are very fast when you're actually preparing them. As long as you yeah. did that step, you know, the day before or whatever, like these pancakes I'm going to have for breakfast. I, I mixed them, I don't know, four days ago. Like so easy. I just got to get the jar out and pour it on the hot stove and it's done. Right. Yeah. But um, so a lot of ancestral food, like we've said before, it is fast food. The grains are fast food once they've been pre-processed. Just like and yeah. it just takes that extra step in the advance. Um, which can be the hard part, honestly, because you're like, oh, I didn't do that yesterday. But getting more mm. in the habit of it helps. So Yeah, it's a slow process. Once you start remembering yeah. a few days, then it, it's a habit yeah. that And it's not like you have just to grows. stand there spending an hour making breakfast or lunch or no. whatever. Um, but you did that little step like the, the night before, the day before, whatever. And you let the chemistry do most of the work. And now you just have, you know, to cook it very quickly. So, yeah, it does. The other thing that um, I thought would be useful to talk about, particularly for people who want to reintroduce grains, is the idea that that not all grains are equal. Ooh, yeah. um, I mean, I think people, most people know that kind of processed wheat is perhaps not the grain to start with right. if you haven't had grains right. for a long time. But remember that there is a spectrum of grains. So if you want to um, do something similar to wheat, but not wheat, there are lots of ancient varieties of wheat that are less complicated, have been less modified along the centuries. Um, there are also spelt and various versions of spelt um, the einkorn and the spelter and the emma. Um, in addition, there are many non-gluten grains that can be used and bread made with them. So the example of buckwheat that I gave you earlier on is a non-gluten grain, which you can use to make into bread or make pancakes with or make a porridge with really nicely. Um, the other 
thing that's been quite important in um, our family's life is um, lectins and lectin-free grains. So lectins are a plant protein which um, is created by the plant in order to ward off um, predators and it's a toxin and for some people it's a problem. It can cause um, inflammation in the body and then the various symptoms that come from that depending on you know what your leaning is whether you end up with eczema or um, brain fog. And um, lectin free has been quite um, important for us in healing our son Gabriel in that we took him as far as we could with gaps and the various other protocols we've done and all the processing of grains I've done but we still around six months ago had an issue and it was really understanding lectins and experimenting with things that we thought he was eating that might have a he might have a problem with that we've come to understand that he does have a problem with some lectins. And so the grains millet and sorghum, which are both available here locally in Italy, are lectin-free. And I use those in my kitchen every day. I think that they're easier for us to digest because they're gluten-free and lectin-free. But they're, they're really nice and can be made into porridges, they can be made into drinks, they can be made into pancakes, and I make a bread with them too. And so if I would say if you're if you've been off grains for a while and you want to reintroduce them, listen to your own body and, you know, experiment, think about the things you've had problems with in the past and try perhaps with some of the lighter grains first, ferment them and see how you get on with those before perhaps you move to some of the other grains that might be slightly more difficult to digest. And that's been our experience and I thought that might be helpful yeah. to um to the daunted people out there who, who want to start grains again but aren't sure how to. Yep. Do you eat lectin free grains or any of that kind um, of millet sorghum buckwheat gluten free stuff? Well we do have them mixed into things but we don't really have a special focus on it. Yeah. I actually okay. couldn't tell you So if- what what grains do you use? Um, let's see. Well, we use a pretty wide variety. I do have some wheat. We don't use loads of wheat, but we do have wheat. Um, mm. let's see. Einkorn, lots of einkorn, obviously. Uh, spelt. Mm. I don't know. Do I count buckwheat? I mean, it's, isn't it's technically a seed, yeah. but I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I, I count it. Yeah. Um, if we're counting grains, we do have rice. We don't use tons of rice, but we do have it from time mm. to time. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. And do you eat whole grain rice or white rice? No, we eat white rice. And why do you do that? Um, it it came down to digestibility. <laughs> mm, so it seemed like the, I don't know, maybe we'll try the brown rice again sometime. Um but it almost seemed like the symptoms were worse with brown rice. Um, yeah, I would concur with that. And the, the reading that I've done concurs with that, that um, there are more of the things that you would have problems digesting in yeah, the um, and I, I don't really know. In the brown rice. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. Is there ways to ferment rice? I have no idea. Um, I never. Yeah, really yeah, definitely. That. I mean, other than like koji yeah. rice and things like that. Yeah, but you can mix it with... Um, Traditionally in India, mixed with um, pulses to make doses. Oh yeah, pancakes. Yeah, yeah. 
um, with so often I've done I haven't done it for a while but rice with um, lentils blended up fermented <clears throat> and then put in the cast iron pan into yeah. pancakes really right. really lovely our kids love um, <clears throat> excuse me um, rice and milk which probably sounds disgusting to most people <clears throat> um, I think it's I think it's like a descendant of a milk pudding type thing or a rice pudding type okay, thing okay yeah um, so every once in a while we make that kind of as a well to them it's like a special treat to me it's a special treat too because <laughs> I make it if I just don't have time to do anything else and so they get so excited because it's I mean it's rice who doesn't love hot rice with raw milk on top mm. right so um, they love that but and they they ask for it all the time but I'm always telling them you can't really eat that all the time it's not really like a meal exactly <laughs> it's not really uh, got that much nutrition in it for you so it's kind of just one of those special emergency type things Aww. talking about rice <laughs> I remembered that um, Kobo from Entry on Instagram talked me into making um, an Indian dish and I've forgotten what the name is um, and it was rice that had been cracked so I put some white rice oh. in my coffee grinder and cracked it a bit and then I fermented it for three days and then I cooked it up um, and I added some coconut milk because Gabriel can't have normal milk and traditionally it's been served with kind of coconut and sweet spices and um, jaggery the name for sugar kind of unprocessed sugar in India and it was really delicious and mm. Gable liked it you just talking about your kids with rice and milk reminded yeah. me of that fermented rice dish and then I used the <laughs> I used the water that I fermented the rice in to wash my hair with because ah. there's some research that this tribe in the mountains somewhere these women have gorgeous hair in their oh 90s and they wash their hair with the with the soak water from from fermenting rice so um, I got persuaded into trying yeah. it BRB, I because I think some rice. <laughs> it has certain proteins in it. And maybe this is true for any soak water you would put in grains. I don't know. Ooh, Someone should, should do an experiment that it makes your hair all shiny because um, it's got lots of good things in apparently. Well, I feel like we use, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great to me. I feel like we use a pretty wide range of um, grains. We also, we've always, almost always had teff on hand um i know aaron did that amazing video for the um yeah patrons for the patron Um, yeah and he talked about using teff to make the um injera pancakes and Mm. so i i bought more because when i went to go get some out and make his pancakes i didn't have any more so i ordered some from azure but Mm. um yeah, we use a pretty wide. What gets variety. what's grown where where you are? What's what's grown? Oh, there's locally quite or a lot kind of semi locally. Um, there is a decent mm. amount of grain production out here, but I would say the majority mm. of those kind of big crops happens over the mountains on the desert side, just because land is so oh, much more expensive over here. Um, yeah. So the any farms with like huge fields that are producing an income are farms that have been in a family for a long time because. If you bought the land now, it would, you'd be impossible to make an income off of it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, not, not um, impossible. There's ton- just, just much more challenging. <laughs> Hard. Yeah. There's there's a lot of grains grown here in Italy because the weather and the soil oh, is course. adapted to it. You know, and obviously Italy is relatively famous for, for spelt oh, and the yes. Roman army being 
run on it. Yeah. Um, but wheat is grown here and rice is grown here and the, oh, the yeah. millet and the sorghum that I buy is grown here and oats are grown here, our rye is grown here, really quite locally. Uh-huh. Um, and so we are we are blessed. In the UK, um, I remember I could get m- almost all of the grains. I struggled to get buckwheat, oh, really? the faux grain, um, and the um, health food store where I used to buy it said it was um from the packet said it was from england and i was like buckwheat grown in england i didn't know that because i would buy it in bulk from the supplier if it was uh-huh. and it ended up actually it was grown in china but of the course. people who put it in the packages put put england on it which was nice um uh-huh. but england it has a, a a relatively good selection of grains i could buy wheat that was grown there i could buy um spelt that was grown there and um, rye and flowers but also in the shops there are a lot more flowers and grains from outside the UK whereas here in Italy you really don't often see flowers and grains that are grown outside Italy in the shops right oh that's um, amazing that's awesome when we started eating iron corn a long time ago the only place we could get it was actually from Italy <laughs> it oh crazy. wow really yeah yeah, yeah, Young Living has um, some farms here that grow it now, and they have a farm in France that mm. grows it. Um, but you still okay. kind of got to get it when you can get it because you know the it it's an older variety, right? So it, it doesn't you can't do you know as many rotations as quickly as you can with like modern durum yeah. wheat or something. And then also because it's not chemically treated in the field, um, at least the you know the young living one isn't then it can Mm. actually go rancid you know more quickly like on the way to being cleaned and stuff like that so kind of got to get it when you can get it um but we do love that because it oh my gosh it it tastes so much better than um honestly i'll be totally honest theirs tastes better than any einkorn Mm. brand i've ever tried anywhere else but um it also just Comparing it to modern wheat and realizing, like all the modern versions of food, you know, versus heirloom foods. Um, yes, the mm. the modern ones are more convenient. You know, they're they're you know genetically designed to be more convenient, but they have no freaking taste. Like they they yeah. literally have no taste. I the first time I tried einkorn, I was like, wait a minute. It was like the first time. Okay, when when I was a kid, we had like. <laughs> bags of dried parsley and like pre-ground pepper and then Mm. when I had parsley for real I was like wait a minute parsley has a taste (laughs) and then when I ground pepper I was like wait a minute pepper's spicy and so then when I had the iron cream I was like wait a minute (laughs) grains have a flavor like I didn't know (laughs) it's amazing I have that thing with parsley you know there was always a jar of dried parsley in my mum's cupboard and it's just like you put the parsley in here and then when I had real parsley I was like oh my gosh this stuff is amazing (laughs) like I just didn't know so so yeah so trying the older varieties of grains is kind of mind-blowing because and I feel like spelt especially when you scald it the way that you do um I know Mm. you do it for the crumb but also it the flavor mm. is fantastic um so trying these 
Mm. These older varieties of grains are just so exciting. And, and maybe that's something yeah. we should also mention if somebody doesn't know when, when you're talking about like spelt and emmer and einkorn and things mm. like that. These are tend to be old um, versions of grains. And what I mean by that is over the years, you know, with an animal, with a plant, with anything, you know, farmers start to notice which which crop did well and then they can kind of they can cross crops they can you know save seeds from specific ones and then come into the modern era and rather than even just sort of um kind of naturally evolving like sort of forcing the what do you want to say like survival of the fittest mm-hmm. sort of forcing it into a expedited version as farmers are doing now come into the modern day and you can go into a laboratory and like manipulate the genes of the plant to do what you want to the point that modern wheat has some like 36 I want to say chromosomes yeah none of which none of which are identifiable by the human body because none of them are original to the plant at this point even an organic wheat raised without pesticides an organic durum wheat would still have those unique chromosomes whereas einkorn which is the oldest form of wheat that we know of has like 12 chromosomes like it's just so different you know it's Amazing. it's much taller um which you know from an agricultural perspective you don't want taller wheat because it takes longer to grow that tall right yeah. and then you can harvest it and plant again within the same year um, and aggressively harvest more out of that field so that what allison the uk can throw away 50 percent of their bread <laughs> like yeah, what are we doing this for <laughs> i know and and this is why um ancient grains are more expensive yeah. than wheat uh, yes because it's point. harder to grow that's them that's a great point allison. um but really you know if you value the food and you you're making it at home in the kitchen the quantities in which you eat them and the nutrition that you get from them, yeah. um, in my opinion, are worth prioritizing the money yeah. for for them rather than using standard wheat. Yeah. Well, you're not going to. Rob can't actually away. eat standard wheat, really. So yeah, he can't. That's, that's, that's why. Right. Yeah, that's why we don't use it. So tell us how how you eat grains in your house, how you prep them, and tell us what how often you eat them you know and what okay. quantities you eat them well not as much as i'd like <laughs> actually <laughs> would like to eat them more um okay but well, i have to get back into a bread making rotation but um mm. we well our fermented oatmeal that's definitely one of the ways we eat grains um that's for sure a popular one um sourdough bread which is you know just sourdough bread however people make their bread um mm pancakes sourdough pancakes trying to Mm -hmm. think i feel like those are the main ones um we have tortillas probably at least once a week sometimes more but they're not fermented or anything like that so Mm. i can't say that those follow all the ancestral rules bizarrely enough Mm. if i have like one tortilla it doesn't seem to um like like the problem doesn't seem to be so great you know what i mean Whereas if I were to eat like, yeah. a, you know, a bunch of slices of bread or something like that, I would be like bloated yeah. and everything would be horrible. Mm. Um, what else do we do? There was something. Oh, I recently tried this. Like I purchased these frozen um, sprouted wheat bagels to try. 
Um, I've been mm-hmm. using them when we put together. So when we put together breakfast for the hip campers um, or the glampers, um, we either do like the sourdough pancakes and then they make their own pancakes up there at the tent or um, like bagels with some of our homemade jam and stuff like that. Um, so I got those as kind of like just to have in the freezer ready and we ate them and I, you said you don't sprout grains, correct? Mm. I, I don't typically yeah, that's either right. just because it's not for bread. Yeah. It's just easier for me to ferment it. Um, but I tried these sprouted ones and mm. basically I had zero effects. It was all, it was like as if I had eaten sourdough, which I thought was very interesting because I thought for sure it was going to be not like that. <laughs> That's interesting because the the sprouting process would have converted a lot of the um, complex carbohydrates into simple sugars. Oh. So you would expect it to be easier to digest because you're literally would be eating many less complex it sugars. It was. Um, um, I think several people have asked me, do I sprout my grains? Yeah. And the only reason I sprout grains is to make malt, to make ancient beer. I, I don't mm, sprout them yeah. routinely for bread. I, mean, I might do if there's one something I want to experiment with. And the reason I don't sprout them is really twofold. On the kind of the um, push side, it's a lot of work. It is. Oh, my gosh. You know, yes. to get the grains, to soak them, to put them in a thing, and then to rinse them and to watch them sprout. Yeah, it's a lot. And then if you're going to put them in a bread, really, you've got to dehydrate them. Um, but also because the way that we process our grains, you know, 80% of the time in this house, I don't have any problems with and neither no, does Rob no. or Gabriel. Yeah, exactly. So there's no need for us to sprout them. Having said that, um, we've just changed suppliers of our grain because the rye grain that I was buying didn't sprout and I, I wanted to sprout that. it to make beer. So I've changed to a new supplier and I ordered some... Um, let's get this right in in English, not Italian, oats and millet and rye and spelt from them in bulk last week in five kilogram sacks. And I thought, well, let's just try sprouting them all and see, you know, what, what sprouts and what doesn't uh-huh. because we needed the rye to sprout for beer. And so I, I had four little jars and a little bit of each of them and the rye was sprouting away like crazy. The spelt started to sprout, but much more slowly and the millet and the oats didn't sprout at all. What I did though this morning, um, actually last night, because my experiment was over, I put all of them into the food processor with some water and a bit of sourdough starter and I blended it up, put it in a bowl and left it out overnight and I had it this morning for my porridge. Oh my God. It was absolutely delicious. And I kind of remember that the the smell and the taste of sprouted grains uh-huh. is very very nice it's so very comforting smell. i yeah i i'd like to do it perhaps a little bit more often than i do but i don't yeah. think for our case in particular we haven't needed to sprout them and, it, and it's a lot of work to do it so yeah. i think that the fermenting and the proper kind of eating of them and including fats when you're eating them is for us at least much more important than the sprouting portion well, it certainly fits your routines, you know, and yeah. um, I was I was thinking about looking and seeing if I could buy some sprouted wheat and try baking like a regular bread with it and see how I do with it. Yeah. Just to see, um, you know, I, I don't know, because it would be nice to be able to just say, oh, I, I didn't think about it, but I want to make some bread right now, you know, 
Um, yeah. And when I, I did that a couple of weeks ago and it was great, like just a regular fast yeast bread, uh, like instant yeast bread. Mm-hmm. It was great and everything. But of course, I felt like garbage. So, um, mm. you know, that's the downside. You should try it. <laughs> so, I'd be interested to hear what, yeah, what yeah. Um, comes of it. To just get some and try it and see yeah. how you get on with it. I wonder if it was... So do you eat grains at every meal? Um, that, that's um, not... I don't know whether you said that. Not always, but... Um, yeah, not necessarily. Um, like oftentimes I'll make us a big stew or something like that, but mm. I don't have any bread made or anything like that. We just eat like the stew. Um, so we and don't... has the stew got carbs like carrots or something in it or not? Oh yeah. Typically I'll put a carb in it, you know, some potatoes or something, mm. uh, or starch, okay. um, some sort of something other than just the, the meat and the broth and things like that. Um, mm. but does it necessarily always have something on the side? Although I don't think anything goes better than stew and a chunk of bread mm. Mm. <laughs> and some, Winter's some larder butter to go with it. Mm. <laughs> nice. Um, but what were you going to say when I, um, when I talked over you and asked you how much, <laughs> how many grains you ate? Oh, I was going to say, I don't know. I feel like it fluctuates. It doesn't really stay. Like sometimes I'll get on a kick and we'll, we'll just have sourdough bread, you know, just commonly for a while. And then I'll get off the kick and I'll get like, like with all this canning and everything we did in September, I, everything was kind of short, short order type things like the pancakes, the breakfast casseroles. Yeah. Which I guess has grains. Yeah. Your breakfast casseroles Um, are grain as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, just, That's oats, it just isn't tended it? to be shorter things. Yeah, quicker things. Um, nice. Yeah, <clears throat> we did some um, like cook, cooked meat and vegetables and cheese and stuff like that, and either just have have that with some beans, or um, roll it in a burrito, um, or have it in a bowl of some rice. You know, the, that's kind of the fast thing that that we had a couple times. Um, just feel like the the, uh, the food I serve during those kind of intense seasons tends to be more boring. <laughs> no, I can understand that completely. Boring isn't necessarily bad. No. Boring allows you to do other things. No, yeah, it? it wasn't bad. Everybody's, I mean, nobody complained. <laughs> Maybe they just know better. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, because you um, do lots of canning and you have a more seasonal um what's the kind of phrase you're more informed by the seasons in the fact that the growing happens a lot yeah. in the summer than here yeah. whereas we were saying at the beginning you know all the growing happens a lot over winter here as well and there's there's just other things right we tend to um have a more routine yeah with our grains than, cool. than you are throughout the year we'll do a similar thing and also because it suits me i'm yeah I, I like to have that routine and keep it going and have that security. So it's my personality as well. You know, that's um, something... I could... I'm mm. sorry. <laughs> now go on. I was going to say that that's something... Do you remember I mentioned a long time ago, Kitty Bloomfield? And that's something she talks mm-hmm. about a lot. If you came out of um, like a diet culture or a starvation culture or restriction type culture, um, she talks a lot about how you have to... She actually thinks it's important if you need to for a while continue as long as necessary to eat the same thing kind of on repeat 
like not not like you have the same food every day but like your rotation is familiar and comfortable because you said you have to build like safety for your body to feel yeah like i know the food is coming and i won't be starved again um so it's interesting that you mentioned that that in context of i think that's that's a sensible thing i think that um for me for the boys gaps was um positive for me gaps had a lot of downsides in that Mm. I do not metabolize fat in the same way that they do. And no matter how much I tried to teach my body to metabolize fat, mm-hmm. it really didn't shift in the way that I wanted it to. And so when we came off gaps, I was really hungry, <laughs> like yeah. really hungry, yeah. because I hadn't had grains for a very long time. And I really struggled to get what I needed from the simple carbohydrates that were in gaps. Okay, question. And I feel like it took me a while um, to settle into a routine with bread um i was talking to rob about this the other day you know in when we just before we recorded the comfort food episode (laughs) in that he was saying i said to he said to me you know the last time really that you exhibited anything in the form of overeating on cut or comfort food was when we came off gaps because i'd not had bread for two and a half years and i started making sourdough and i could eat it and it was my body needed something more and it it went through a phase of oh my gosh and my my psyche went through that phase Mm -hmm. as well and it it balanced itself out after a couple of months and you know now I have bread all around me all the time and I don't have issues with it but you're right that there's something there's something psychological but there's also something deeper that happens when we've been on something that's restrictive for a while and for some people it causes issues and therefore there's a bounce back you know yeah i have a question for you because i really want to know your thoughts on Mm. this i thought about this before when i was thinking about this podcast but um Mm. what you're saying and then you mentioned you know rob and gabriel versus you and things like that so that makes Mm. me think about it again Sometimes I feel like I see a lot more um, males promoting carnivore and or paleo Mm. than females, Mm. which is not to say that there's also like, obviously there's also females, but it just tends to be that I feel like I see more males. And I, then I've also, I was talking to um, Amanda, um, who is looking at gaps and stuff like that. And I think she's still breastfeeding. And she said when she talked to a gaps coach, they said she should probably keep grains. And I was thinking about whenever I've been breastfeeding and oh my gosh, like you're so hungry, like all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I ate the the house (laughs) a few months, the few months that I did breastfeed, (laughs) I ate the house. But then it just makes me think about women in general and then I and then I started thinking about like okay, women and men in history. What what were what were we doing? You know, the women yeah, tend to be like we said. You're physically closer to the home with the infants and things like that. The men possibly physically mm. farther afield, kind of bringing bringing back the bacon, as it were. Um, mm. You know, depending on the society. And so I wonder, do you think possibly maybe do females have like a slightly higher need for grains or a more Mm. invested need in it like like guys could get by Mm. without it maybe easier 
than females could? I don't. It's a really good question. <laughs> and there's so many, so many things that I could talk about. Um, <laughs> but just from my um, opinion on that, I think two things I would say. I think that men and women have different metabolism in my yeah. experience yeah. with all the partners. Not that I've, I haven't had like thousands of partners, but <laughs> I've had a few and they've all had different metabolisms to me. Yeah. And they've been able, they've been more adapted to fasting than I've been. Mm-hmm. They've been, they've had less trouble um, going long periods of time without food than I have. And yeah. maybe part of that yeah. is because they're better fat metabolizers than I have. So maybe part of that's my history Right. Um, but, it, you know, it's still my experience. The other thing I would also bring into it is I think that generally women are different, have different styles of eating to men. Mm. I'm a sensual eater. I love yeah. eating. I love the textures. I love the flavors. It's really important to me how my food smells, how it looks. Rob's really not that bothered. He appreciates it and he loves seeing beautiful food and smelling it. But, you know, I have to prompt him sometimes to say, God, this is, this smells wonderful. Just, you know, <laughs> Did you like that? Smell, close your eyes and smell it, you know? And, and he would, left to his own devices, which he often is, he'll, if something's more important, he'll go without lunch. Yeah. You know, he's not bothered. If, if all there is, is a carrot and a, a, a bit of old heart and a chunk of bread, he'll put the three of them on the plate, not even chop the carrot up and eat it. <laughs> And, and I think that plays in to women's need for more, perhaps more regular sustenance and a different type of sustenance. And I, I don't know any science behind it. That's just my opinions. Yeah. But I think also what you're saying around childbearing and breastfeeding and the different roles that women had, the... I do think that the, the needs and the timings of food would have been probably have developed differently and I I feel that very often or I have felt often as a woman that I need to be able to replicate what Rob can replicate otherwise I'm not good enough so if I can't fast for a week or if I can't go you know from four in the evening till 10 in the morning without eating then there's something I'm doing wrong but I think I'm different to him and it's important for us all to to listen to our own bodies rather than to listen to what someone says we should be doing and experiment and learn and be okay with eating something different to the people around us and to the people on the other side of our table if we have to, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have to we be certainly, really I mean, we, we don't eat the same. Really cautious about letting somebody dictate what you're doing because that person yeah. might be speaking from their experience. And if it's a male yeah. speaking to a female, a male who's never maybe even gone through starvation culture and has a totally normal metabolism and the circadian rhythm. And he's talking to a female who, um, you know, essentially went, lived through a famine for 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. And has, and and brought up two children and breastfed them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Birth, birth babies and, um, and, and operates on an infradian rhythm. Um, then yeah, yeah, it's going to be a totally different conversation. And, and I do feel like, um, uh, we, when you say listen to our bodies, like it, it is really important, and it, it is hard sometimes in culture and Instagram and all the things around you are yes. screaming at you all these things, you know, do this, don't do that, you know, and and you almost can't even hear what your own body is saying, but then you hear a woman mm-hmm. saying things like, oh, I was like dreaming about um, bread and and like, you know, like all these just just bizarre things, and you're like, okay, well maybe 
you need a piece of bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Interesting. Maybe you need a piece of bread. Maybe you need some butter. Yeah. <laughs> Let me talk about um, what what we eat grain wise, okay. how mm. much we eat, and how we do it. Because I made a big list, and okay. um, I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. So, um, I would say that I eat grains three meals a day mostly sometimes we roast vegetables and we'll have those at a meal but generally I eat grains three to three times a day so um sourdough is the backbone of what we do and we have sourdough spelt bread we have sourdough rye bread we put barley in both of those sometimes and we have a, a lectin free sourdough that I make from millet and sorghum flour um and Generally, I will eat certainly the spelt sourdough. So I'm more adapted to spelt. Rob's more adapted to rye. I noticed when I started to eat rye again that my blood sugar didn't do so well with eating rye. So I don't have rye so much. Um, I mostly have spelt. So I make the rye loaves for Rob, really. Sometimes I can't resist them, though. Um, And I have that usually at lunchtime because it's the most dense of the carbs I will have and therefore it needs more of my digestion so I have it at lunchtime. There are recipes all over my site for various forms of sourdough so um, if you want to know how I make any of those you can you can go and find the recipe on my site. The um, other main way that I ferment breads and have um, ferment grains and have the most days is either in a porridge a polenta or a polenta bread so I had porridge this morning and I think generally once a week I'll cook up um, some grains that we've um, usually ground and then I fermented overnight into a, a kind of a porridge and then I'll put the remains into a loaf tin and squash it down and then have it as a polenta bread in the fridge. There are videos on my website that explain in depth how I make those um, And I generally have that porridge or some form of porridge for breakfast. We have pancakes. Um, That one is usually maybe once a week because they take a bit more time to fry in the cast iron pan to do them for all of us. So they're like maybe a weekend treat that we have for breakfast. Um, In addition to that, we make um, two fermented grain drinks that we have almost every day the first one I made for Gabriel and I've talked about it before on here it's called Boza and it's a millet drink so I made that for him because I wanted him to have more probiotics but he can't have dairy Um, and so I kind of did the research for that and that is a beautiful it's gluten-free and lectin-free and we drink it really so Gabriel drinks it um, for some meals along with the other starch that he has that's on my website the Bosa. there's a course on it and then the um i love oats i absolutely love oats rob doesn't love oats so much um but i discovered how to make suens a scottish ferment about a year ago and i've been making that almost every week from oats that we grind here um and i often have that for porridge in the morning and then I'll have the liquid the drink as well from that um, so generally I'll eat it three times a day I eat grains three times a day either a porridge or some of the suens in the morning sourdough at lunchtime 
The only other way we do grains, which is not fermented, is we often cook millet and sorghum on their own in stock. We use those two grains because they're the easiest ones to digest, so we're not fermenting them. And they're lectin-free and gluten-free. And we'll cook those up in some heart stock or in some um, bone broth that I've saved and serve them as a side with what we're eating with some some fat on. So often I'll have that for supper. Sometimes I have the lectin bread for supper. So yeah, three times a day, but um, really, really good grains. And And I'm really happy that I've got the routine going where I can ferment them and give them to my boys. I love it. And I love that boza because it's it's so unique and different. And I'm going to link, I know for the boza and the suins, you have actually made like courses that people can buy and learn, you know, from you on video. Yeah. So I'm going to link those in the show notes. Um, just Thank if you. If anybody hasn't already seen those. Um, I, I'm so inspired, Allison, by how... Um, uh, I don't know if regular is the right word, but I like the the patterns mm. that you have. I I feel like I am sort of getting more towards that direction of having a pattern. Um, mm. And then as soon as I think that, then we end up with like a thousand <laughs> something happens. or something and I just, everything yeah. just out the window. <laughs> but, um, but I do like that because I feel like that is something that I, my metabolism needs because we all mm. eat the same thing over here. And we have for a while, but post third baby, my body has just not responded the way that it did after the other ones. And so I'm like, okay, something is, is just like, Mm. I'm just like waiting and nothing's happening. I'm like, come on. So, um, I wonder if getting more of my routine down because I do feel like being sporadic is just because of my, my history with like you know, starvation and stuff like that. I, I feel like I really need those routines. Um, I think metabolism is really, I mean, it, it is a very personal thing and it changes yeah. over time. So, you know, once you, yeah, if you were to instill that routine over a little while, that might change and your needs might change. But yeah. um, to, to give your body that, to stop it perhaps yeah. going into a place where it's digging deeper than it needs to, um, yeah, totally. for me, that certainly is is something that works for me i mean i i yeah. i haven't had any problems with weight since i started including grains again in my diet after gaps and i do feel like i have a ton more energy than i had right at the end of gaps totally. so and um, i want to be really i have to be really careful because mm. i know i know what i could do to force my my weight down but yeah. that is not something i'm willing to do it's just so unhealthy i would rather take the time and let it take the time um to i think that that time thing that that's a it's a um a useful and um i can't remember what the word is i'm i'm glad to hear you say that because i think you know many times in the past i've done things in my diet because i'm not willing to wait the time and you know, with, know it's easy so to say I. with hindsight. I, 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 you know, I just can't. I just can't. It's easy to say it with hindsight. You know, when I, I know. if if I'd known, if I knew back before I started gaps what I know now, then I probably would have approached gaps slightly differently. Oh. It did wonderful things yeah. for Gabriel and wonderful yeah. things for Rob, and and some really good things for me too. Yeah. But I've 
very often gone at things with um, with a hammer, really, yep. because yeah, I, I want a result. And really, there, it, it's it's not a satisfying being slow. It's not a satisfying saying, okay, <laughs> well, you know what? I haven't had grains for two years. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to ferment a bit of millet and make a porridge once a day and do that for a month and see what happens. Yeah. Um, because that's not, you know, it doesn't give you an answer. It's frustrating. It requires attention and time. And yeah. But really, in order to get to a peaceful place with food rather than swinging from one side to another, which I've done many times, you know, in, in the past, yeah. it the slower and more conscious and patient you can be, the better, I think. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely agree with you on that because I feel like if I hadn't done all those radical things in the past, I probably wouldn't have as much trouble as I do now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like I created yeah. the problem for myself and I know I, yes. could, I could maybe give myself a short-term fix right now, but that would leave yeah. me 10 years down the road again in yeah. you know in in a lot of in a lot of trouble so i'm trying amen to... my conclusion is that if i'm just following an ancestral diet the closer and closer i can get into doing it um there is equilibrium in that and so i have i'm just like okay come on give myself the time to feel it and and i feel like the routine is helpful for that mm. because actually just this yeah knowing that i'm gonna have the pancake and eggs in the morning i don't know there's something very satisfying in that like yeah it's not even that much you know it's pancake and the eggs are you know they're heritage yeah. eggs so they're kind of small but um it's just right you know it's just right mm. so i wish that i could come over there <laughs> and give you some sourdough so, <laughs> so then you wouldn't have to worry about making sourdough or just make your massive polenta bread with you know some different what? grains and just leave something. it in your fridge Something I forget who was I talking to? I think I was talking to Sabrina and Colleen, and we're like, imagine um, Allison can make a loaf of bread and they can eat it all week. Can you imagine that? Like we just could, <laughs> like we make a loaf of bread and it doesn't even make it through one meal. But um, oh, you haven't seen the size of my loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, but what we were thinking was also, you know, um, so with more kids comes, you know, there's obviously more work and stuff like that. But also, I'm thinking, yeah. hey. I'm realizing that Jacob is learning more and more in the kitchen and ah. I'm going to be able to start actually make this a homeschool chore, you know, on Wednesdays yeah. you start the sourdough or something. And, um, yeah. and yeah. he asks all the time, can I do this? And so I'm getting better and better about being like, yes, and just stepping out of the way and letting him do it, even if it's clumsy, because I know yeah. the payoff will come later. Um, <laughs> and, you know, both for myself selfishly having him mm. help me out but also for his private life being able to do things later you know um so <laughs> with, yeah so before you know it he'll be making you sourdough and filling yeah, up your freezer and and bread bin with it and then you'll have it for the week my mom was really good about that with us kids not only having us do things in the kitchen and involving us always from a young age but also she would make things into like like it's just a regular chore or a task so you think oh i have yeah. to scrub the toilet and then you also have oh i have to start the sourdough or whatever i don't think we did yeah. sourdough but whatever it was as the task that she gave us and then it also becomes in a way your school because it's your you know your home ec you know you're learning all these amazing yeah. skills in the house that obviously are paying off later <laughs> yeah completely Oh, I think we've um 
We've been talking for quite a while. Is there anything else that you want to add? If if not, we'll wrap up. No, we're I think. Gamut here. I think. I just want to say thank yeah. you to our sponsors, the patrons who are yeah, um, the patrons who um, subscribe to the monthly Patreon thingy. I'll put a link for that in the show notes too, because Allison and I have been um, really good, Allison. I'm quite impressed with us. Really good at making content and putting it up there um, for the patrons to get to enjoy. Just as an extra thank you for. Um, financially keeping the show <laughs> sponsored. <laughs> oh, and we should probably we should probably mention. I think this is going to go out before our um, next cook up we have planned oh, for the patrons as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. on. Oh, what's the date? It's November the twelfth, isn't it? You know what? I put it on my calendar. We are doing. You look it up, and I'll explain what it is. Yes. So on November twelfth, we are doing the second of our live Zoom cook ups, so um, which will be winter themed. So Andrew and I will be talking about and demoing some recipes that are themed for winter, which you will be able to come on in if you're a patron and watch live and interact and chat to us or download later yeah. and watch or listen to if you can't get to us live. So yep, that's really quite 12th. exciting. And I'm looking forward to sharing mine on the 12th of November. Yep. So if you're interested in that, go take a look at the um patreon feed which yeah. we will link in the show notes and um see whether it's kind of your cup of tea yeah so live or later <laughs> you can hop on with us and and either listen or share maybe you have like a little winter recipe something yeah, to share oh that. my goodness that'd be so cool to hear um and if you can't be on there at the actual time of course we are recording it and you can listen to it or watch it after the fact but of course we want to see your face so <laughs> yeah indeed yeah. Okay. All well, right, Alison. Beautiful. Then I, I shall let you go. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much, Andrew. It's a wonderful episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Go and have your breakfast. <laughs> All right. Have an awesome day, Alison. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm.